Hello, my name is Ben, and I am one of the hosts of the Too Vague podcast. This week, we've got a special episode uh, about some of the things that we've been working on for a new page that we are developing. So we'll start out by doing a brief history of OnlyFans, which is a page that was launched in November of 2016 as an internet content uh, subscription-based service, which originated in London. Tim Stokely founded the company with his brother Thomas with a loan from his father, Guy. Tim, this is going to be the last one, Stokely. OnlyFans currently has 2 million content creators and about 130 million users. Users, for those who don't know, subscribe to the service, receive sort of video clips, photos, live streaming content. It allows uh, creators to receive funds directly from the fans on a monthly basis. And there's also some pay-per-view features on there. We thought, taking this idea, we were going to do our our own OnlyFans page. So that's what we're... We're announcing our OnlyFans page. We'd like to be inclusive here at the Two Vague Podcast as much as possible. So we're even going to include uh, hand fans. They will be welcomed. First, let's do some history about fans. The first electric fan was created by Dr. Schroeder Scott Wheeler in 1886, and it was a battery-powered fan it was a two-blade desk fan. It was made of brass. And it was very dangerous because there was no safety cage on those original fans. And then in the 1920s, mass production of items kind of reduced the prices of fans. So more people got fans. In the late 20s, General Electric developed some technology for the overlapping blades that would basically reduce the sound of the fan. That was a big development. And we've been working on some interviews involving fans. We've got an in-depth interview with an 86-year-old Emerson Silver Swan. We're going to discuss what it means to be Art Deco in the 21st century. We have a, a Western electric fan from the 1880s. We talk about living in Chicago and the struggles with being bipolar. We also have some explicit audio and video footage, to put it lightly. Uh, some more contemporary fans talk about blowing and, the, you know, their blowjobs. And also, we'll be interviewing some ceiling fans and getting their very unique perspectives and techniques about what they do. With this talk about fans, I wanted to discuss one of my favorite commercials is this Norton Antivirus commercial. They were trying to sell their security software. This Norton Antivirus commercial starred David Hasselhoff and an oscillating fan. And the whole tagline was, protect your oscillating fan from David Hasselhoff. Protect your oscillating fan from David Hasselhoff. So check it out. It's pretty funny. So let's move on to what I've been playing. Speaking of fans, I am a huge huge fan of Guerrilla Games Horizon Forbidden West. I just picked that up a couple months ago and I've been playing it. At this point, I'm about, according to the stats, I'm about 73% complete. 
just about 66% of the main storyline. But if you've ever played Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West picks up where that left off as far as the story. They've changed some of the dynamics, but it's not in a way that, that feels forced. It's been about three or four years since I played the original Horizon Zero Dawn, which I absolutely loved. And some of the dynamics have changed as far as things that you do in the game and some of the mechanics, but it's not obvious. It just feels just like the first. And I mean, in the best way possible, too. It's not like I'm missing certain things or it's obvious what things have changed. And I think that's that's kind of a testament to what Guerrilla Games did. It's very much like the original. They did add some new stuff to it. Horizon Zero Dawn, the original has the main quests, the side quests. The main quests are the main storyline. The side quests are additional content that you do, you know, that you're sent off by people. And they kind of add to the story. Uh, there are errands, there are bandit camps, there are the tall necks, which are the large map exposing things that you have to kind of figure out how to climb up and implement your code to kind of override them. Hunting grounds, cauldrons, which will allow you to get unlock codes for overriding these machines, and then also corrupted zones. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West has basically all the same things the one difference is with the the rebel camps. They're they're rebels in the game. It's not these uh, bandits, but it's similar. And they've got two tiers of that. One which is sort of a a lower tier, sort of just you know overriding the bandit camps. And then also they've got outposts. And what the outposts do, they have more of story-based and more complex sort of missions involved with overriding the camp. So it's a little bit more of a challenge. They don't have corrupted zones, but they have something similar where they have apex versions of the machines that you can come across randomly. And so it's like those, but it's not designated. So it's more of a random sort of thing. So corrupted zones aren't explicitly in there. But they did add a couple of other quest types. They've got new salvage contracts, which you interact with people to do a, a group of certain missions. They've got they've improved their melee uh, melee combat in the game. Some of the moves that you can do with your staff now are a little bit complex uh, as far as the timing. But it's not anything that, you know, ruins the game. The melee pits, there's also, there's an arena there too where you fight against different machines and have different missions, which is very similar to the hunting grounds. There are relic ruins, which are more puzzles that you have to kind of solve to uh, find these relics that you give to a certain person. They've added a kind of a race component called Gauntlet Runs, which is basically a you're racing around on one of your mounts with other people and you have to knock them off their mounts and shoot them and stuff. And you've got little power-ups that you get. They also added sort of a turn-based kind of game called Machine Strike. Part of the thing that they do with the hunting grounds now is when you complete the missions, there's a person who can carve pieces which represent the different machines that you interact with on you know through your travels 
I haven't played a lot of Machine Strike. I've played a few games, and there's someone in each town that you can play against. I don't know what the reward is for beating all the people, but it, you know, it's an interesting variety of different mission types. And sometimes I just go around and I shoot peccaries all day, also known as javelinas. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's a lot of fun. The character of Aloy, very strong female character. If we're talking about her motivation here, I mean, you know, when you have someone who they're tasked with, they want to save the world, that's a lot of pressure. I've never been tasked with saving the world before, as far as I know. But Aloy as a character, I like her general story arc, and there are some things where there are dialogue choices, but it doesn't seem like it really impacts anything so far in the game, which is like, you know, like I said, I'm about two-thirds of the way through. And I don't know if that needs to be, anything needs to be done with that. There have been people who say that they want to see Aloy in a relationship uh, and have some relationship choices, but I think in my in my heart that that would kind of sort of spoil the the storyline and kind of divert her focus in a way that doesn't really add to the game much. They've already announced that it's going to be a trilogy, so I'm excited to see what is in the works. I'm also not quite to the story part where there's a a death that is going to be... I've read some warnings. There's going to be a death that's pretty impactful coming up too that I'm like... Ugh. I'm kind of delaying and I'm exposing everything on the world map uh, and doing all those missions because I don't want to, I don't want this character to get killed off, but it's going to happen, right? Really wonderful time with that. Really love it. Can't, you know, if you like games like Far Cry, but you want a little bit more of a, of a sci-fi sort of story, definitely check it out if you've got a PlayStation. Let's talk about what the future holds. We've got, along with the fan content, we've got a couple shows coming up. We've got uh, Jenna back with us, and we're going to be talking about the word morality. And then also, Andrew came back, and we're going to have him on the show talking about the word time. So two very nebulous sort of conversations that kind of go a lot of different places. So both should be interesting. And then we've got some, um, we're thinking about doing a show with Nora again about the word metaverse. So got some ideas about that. Might want to get some different perspectives on different generations and how they think about the metaverse and what it can be and what it could be. So really excited about that stuff coming up. And then also let's just close the show out by doing a brief history of April Fool's Day. So some historians, uh, they speculate that April Fool's Day goes back to the days of the uh, the Julian calendar, uh, the Gregorian calendar, in the late 1500s, when France switched from the Julian to the Gregorian. In the Julian calendar, the new year began with the spring equinox at around April 1st, but they changed. The speculation about April Fool's Day and where it came from was it was tied to the vernal equinox in the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere when Mother Nature fooled people with changing and unpredictable weather. 
that's its origin, the calendar change, and how some people did change their calendar and others didn't. In the 18th century in Britain and in Scotland, it became a tradition. There was a two-day event that started with the hunting of the gawk, G-O-W-K, where people were sent on phony errands to look for the gawk, then followed by tally day, which I'm imagining is how many people will find the gawk. Tally day involves pranks played on people's dairy airs, such as pinning fake tails on them and kick me signs. I don't know, dairy air-based humor is never one of the funniest things for me, but... But anyway, derriere. Just the word derriere. I don't think I ever use derriere. I only use the word ass or butt. I should probably start using derriere. In modern times, you know, a lot of people have gone great lengths to celebrate April Fool's Day. Mostly newspapers and television shows and radio shows. A lot of media-based use of this. And even companies some of the notable pranks that have been played in history. 1957, uh, BBC reported that Swiss farmers were expecting a record uh, spaghetti crop and had footage of people having noodles hanging from their trees. Sounds kind of funny. In 1985, Sports Illustrated writer George Plimpton did an article that was a April Fool's prank about a rookie pitcher named Sid Fitch who could throw a fastball over 168 miles an hour. In 1992, NPR ran a spot with former President Richard Nixon saying that he would be running for president again, but it was not actually Nixon. It was actually an actor. I actually remember this one. In 1996, Taco Bell, they announced that they had agreed to purchase Philadelphia's Liberty Bell and rename it to the Taco Liberty Bell. And that was announced. Burger King did a similar thing with a left-handed Whopper that they were going to introduce. And then also Google has had some really cool April Fool's Day pranks. There was a telepathic search that they did. Um, they did a thing where they, you could play Pac-Man on Google Maps, which was kind of an interesting sort of April Fool's Day prank. One of my favorite ones was that I remember... Before Google Maps was really robust, they did a thing with uh, Google Moon where they made a moon-based maps sort of app where it would go into the surface of the moon and you could see the details of the moon. But what you would do is when you would zoom in all the way, it would show a block of cheese. I haven't checked out what their April Fool's Day prank is, but I will probably after the show on that note. We here at the Two Vague Podcast wish you a very happy April Fool's Day. We really appreciate all your support and feedback. More things to come. Maybe not fan-based explicit content. Maybe. We'll work on it. We'll see what next year holds. But anyway, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye.